1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians is an ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul from Ephesus that shows us how to apply the gospel in every area of life. Paul writes of problems that plague us in chapters 1 to 6, and then he speaks of questions that befuddle us in chapters 7 through 16. And Paul wants the Corinthians, and he wants us to know that Christ risen is the answer to our most befuddling questions. All of this book is moving toward chapter 15, this great chapter on the resurrection of Jesus. The risen Christ is the answer to our most befuddling questions. And beginning in, in verse 1 of chapter 7, Paul addresses a, a question that they asked him about sex in marriage. And as he addresses that question directly, Paul sees that it's necessary for him to talk about singleness and marriage more generally. And so, the Corinthians' misunderstanding of the body resulted from their failure to believe and live according to the realities of the resurrection of Jesus. And so in verses 10 and 11, today's passage, he speaks directly to those who are married or who desire to be married. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Augustine, who lived from uh, 354 to 430, once said, here in this passage we are given to understand that neither spouse may divorce the other if both are believers. All right, let's, would you pray with me? That, that, that's it, right? That's, that's as simple as it, as it gets. And, and you have to remember that in this passage, Paul is addressing a specific question that has been asked of them. This is not the entirety of the teaching of Scripture on the nature of divorce. This verse that, that we just read together, you think about it with respect to what Barry and Janice read in Matthew chapter 19, right? Jesus seemed to give reasons where divorce would be allowed. And again, in a couple of weeks, we'll see where Paul mentions abandonment by an unbelieving spouse is a legitimate reason for grounds for divorce. But you must remember that when we think about divorce, we are, should not be thinking about how do we therefore hedge our bets so that we can get out of, of marriage or we think about marriage. You don't think about what are, the, what are the escape clauses of it. No, Paul assumes that when you're a Christian and you marry, you're in it for good. And so Paul's point in verses 10 and 11 is very simple. Marriage is a commitment 
for life. Marriage is a commitment for life. Paul is defending the institution, the importance, and the value of Christian marriage, and he's answering the question that was presented to him in verse 1 of chapter 7. And so now he's dealing with Christians in Corinth who wished to get themselves out of their marriage. And next week we'll see what it means to be married to an unbeliever and the dynamics involved in that. But for this week, Paul is addressing couples who are both Christians who are committed in marriage. And what he says is a command. It is not a concession that he mentioned earlier in verse 6. It is not a concession to, to pause and to, to have seasons where you're not enjoying conjugal relationships for the purpose of prayer. He's saying that this is a command from the Lord. That is a command from Jesus. Don't divorce. Or to say it positively, marriage is a commitment for life. So he talks about three ideas in the midst of this. Number one, the integrity of marriage. Two, who's included in marriage. And three, what is your investment into your marriage? If you are married or if you desire to be married, this sermon is for you. If you are single and have the gift of singleness, then we encourage you to pray and think and be aware of what's required in your brothers and sisters who are also married, and should the Lord call you to be married, this will undoubtedly apply to you, right? Integrity of marriage, who's included in marriage, and what is your investment in marriage? We're all going to go to a little marriage counseling here together today, and, and I want you, in a sense, to come with me into my own marriage counseling, because the hardest thing about being a pastor is recognizing that, holy cow, I need this sermon worse than anybody else in this room. So let's do a little marriage counseling with the Apostle Paul together, shall we? The integrity of a marriage commitment. Paul says that marriage is a lifelong commitment that neither partner is to break. The wife should not separate from her husband, and the husband, verse 11, should not divorce his wife. Marriage was created as a one flesh union. And it's meant to be a symbol of God's unbreakable covenant with us. And it's an important symbol throughout Scripture, God's covenant with his people. God is compared to a husband and God's people to a wife. When by grace we're able to keep our marriages healthy and whole, we are a symbol to the world of God's covenant faithfulness, his integrity, his faithfulness to his people, the church. And marriages are supposed to last because they are symbols of God's lasting love for us. If there is to be seen integrity anywhere, it is to be seen in Christian marriages. But even more than a symbol of God's fidelity, marriage illustrates the principle of two becoming one flesh. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5. The spiritual union between Christ and his church, the head and his body, and with such amazing symbols that are given to the institution of marriage, it would make sense that we as Christians believe that marriage is a commitment for Marriage is a commitment for life. 
When you read this passage and it says a wife should not separate from her husband or a husband divorces his wife, don't read the modern ideas of separation into that passage. The, the word koristani uh, in Greek, separate means to leave. And the word aphani, or the ESV gives divorce, means to dismiss a wife or divorce or end the marriage. Both mean to end the marriage. In ancient Roman law, there was no formal way to divorce. In the Greeks who were underneath Roman law, there was no formal divorce. You just, if you're a wife, you picked up your dowry and you left. Which meant almost certain economic destruction for her unless she went back into her father's house. But to divorce was not formalized like it is today. You just simply abdicated your responsibility. You just simply wandered off. You just simply left your spouse in the lurch. There was no formality to it. So when you see the word separate and you see the word divorce, think divorce, think abandon, think you should not leave your spouse. Same words, different Greek words used, but same idea. For Paul, both terms signify the end of a marriage and that is off limits for a Christian. Now, one of the hardest things about this passage is there is a big difference between a disappointing marriage and a destructive marriage. We must not seek divorce simply because we're not getting everything we want out of our marriages, that we're disappointed in our marriage or disappointed in our spouse. Sometimes we have such high expectations that we just seem to court disappointment. That we just think, oh, well, if, if marriage will end my struggle with this or this will satisfy all my things. And we've idolized marriage to a point where you're, of course, you're going to be disappointed. But there's a huge difference between a disappointed marriage and a destructive one. And in some ways, all of our marriages until glory are going to be disappointing. They're going to disappoint you as a Christian. And you should expect that because your wife is not Jesus and your husband is not your savior. In fact, to the degree that you view them as such is the degree inversely which, with, with which you'll be more disappointed in your marriage. Instead of feeling disappointed, instead as Christians, we are to recognize the value that marriage is a commitment for life and to see the incredible picture that the Lord has given to us. I mean, what did you expect when you got married? What did you expect? You've been poisoned by too many Disney princess movies. I mean, it's hard. Marriage is hard. In fact, when, when Elizabeth Dodds, she was a scholar, she was trying to, 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 to describe, write a biography of, of Sarah and Jonathan Edwards' marriage. She, she thought, you know, this, crazy, this incredible marriage who George Whitfield saw and thought, man, if marriage is like that, then I, I, I want to pursue marriage himself, even though his marriage was a total train wreck. You know, Elizabeth Dodds is searching for a title, a title to her book. And do you know what she called the book between Sarah and Jonathan Edwards? The title of her book on this great marriage is called Marriage to a Difficult Man. And the difficult man is Jonathan Edwards. So how horrifying it must be for Lauren to be married to me or for your spouse to be married to you. It's hard. Marriage is a commitment for life. And in, 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 our, in our work, 
um, as pastors, you know, we encourage couples to have, you know, you know uh, functionally to have wake-up calls with their spouse, to be able to talk very candidly and honestly with their spouse, to learn how to communicate what their spouse said. There's this, um, uh, um, there's this great line I heard from one of you one time who, Lauren and I often joke about it in our house. They, they said, it is said in a Bible study about communicating with their spouse. They said, I, I know that you said you heard what I said, but the problem is what I said wasn't really what I meant, <laughs> you know? I mean, we, there's, there's all kinds of, of miscommunication that, that goes on in marriage. And as we had these wake-up calls, as we have heart-to-hearts as couples about our marriages, it opens us up. There's not an emotion wheel that you spin, although that might be a helpful exercise for a bunch of people like they have in the community group. It's a great idea, by the way. But you begin to recognize where are those challenges in your marriage, and you're able to go there with a maturity because you know that Christ has strengthened you by his Spirit to not idolize your spouse, but to help her or help him become more and more like Jesus through your servanthood. One day in glory, we're going to have opportunities to share as elders of this church. I can't wait to share publicly what we've only been able to keep privately, and that is the power of the gospel to be at work in the marriages, particularly in this church. There are marriages that we as elders thought, oh, Jesus, please intervene because this is not looking good. And he did. More than on one hand, we can count the number of marriages in this room, perhaps, or in this church to the Lord who have sought the help of the elders. And the Lord has healed them slowly but surely, bit by bit by bit. And it hasn't been easy. And those are the little Ebenezers that the elders of our church have. Little stones of remembrance to say, the Holy Spirit's at work here because we've seen marriages renewed. I mean, there's some people who are at our church who are here because they can admit they struggle with their marriage. In fact, there might be one couple in this church, and you're probably lying if you think it's you who doesn't need counseling because sin goes so deep. There's a big difference between a disappointing marriage and a destructive one. A disappointing marriage is an expectation that we all have. However, a destructive one is one that seeks that disappointment and refuses to move toward their spouse in the midst of the disappointment and say, can we pray? Can we work? Can we talk? Can we bring in a third party? And it takes time and it takes energy and it takes effort. But it is worth it. Let me just say a word to the divorced in the room. Some of you here are divorced. And some of you may be wrestling with your own questions or your own feelings of guilt. And you may even have concluded that your divorce was an unbiblical uh, divorce. Um, It's easy to become weighed down by past decisions, past sins. But the gospel is that before the Lord, even though there are no do-overs because of the consequences of sin many times, before your Father in heaven, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Repentance is the mark of being a son or a daughter of the king. 
There was a man whose name is Tom uh, Schneider. He was an elder in this church for 30 years after his divorce. He wasn't a Christian during his first marriage. And as he began to reflect on his own life, later in life, his heart began to break for what, though he had biblical grounds for divorce in his, his, his first marriage, and he never remarried, his only marriage, he never remarried, he began to grow overwhelmed by his need to confess to his wife, now ex-wife, where he was wrong in that marriage. Because though he was the one that in his church was absolved from the guilt and he was allowed with biblical reasons to divorce his wife, he felt like he had recognized his heart better the older he got and he wanted to meet with her. But the problem was she was married again and had children. And so Tom Schneider had the audacity to call her husband and say, I would like to share a few things about where I failed in my marriage to your wife. And this is a weird phone call. He said, I'm just going to say it. There are areas in my life I look back at now and think I was sinful and I sinned against her. And I, I would like to confess those to you as her husband. And if you think it's appropriate for me to confess those to her with you present, I would be glad to do so. But I'm not going to interfere in your marriage. I just want to confess where I was wrong in our first marriage. And he met with this, this, this husband of his, of his ex-wife. And they sat down and he confessed his sins with tears. He confessed his sins. And this husband actually met with Tom and the ex-wife and he confessed his sins to his first wife. Now, they didn't obviously reconcile. She was still married. He didn't want to interfere in their marriage. But the depth of self-awareness that he had to know how do I navigate this difficult road, he called, reached out to her husband and gave him total freedom to say, hey, I submit myself to you. I just want you to know I was wrong. And if that helps you better care for your wife, then please use it. But I need to confess this because I know that some of the sins against her, you bear as her husband. And so therefore, I should confess it also to you, brother. That's the gospel at work right there. And that's not what we should always do, but that was the way he applied the gospel to his particular situation in his life. Now, the integrity of marriage is so crucially important. We could talk about this for hours. I won't. I've got a few more minutes. Let's talk about who's included in your marriage. Who's included in your marriage? In a traditional marriage, the vows follow the pattern of who is included in the marriage. You thought your marriage is just about you and your spouse and you would be wrong. It follows this pattern. The church, the couple, the community, the children. The church, the couple, the larger community, and the children. All of those are involved in each individual marriage. Marriage is not just between husband and wife. It involves the community of faith and it involves the community called the church first. When a family announces a marriage to a society at large, friends and particularly members of a local church gather together for a worship service. That worship service is called a 
service of holy matrimony, a wedding. And the first words that a minister traditionally says at a wedding is when the bride walks down the aisle in all of her adorned, arrayed beauty, what does he say? He says, for as, even before she's given away, for as much as these two persons have come here to be made in one holy estate, if there be any persons here who know just cause why they should not be lawfully joined in marriage, I require him or her now to make it known or ever after to hold their peace. In other words, when they're presented down the aisle, the first thing the minister says is to the church, do any of you have any reason why they should not be married because you're involved in the vow? You are the ones who come alongside them to help them flourish in their relationship. And if you know of any reason why they shouldn't do it, please speak up. And of course, there's always those great shows where it's like, does anyone know? You know, these romance where they're trying to break the marriage up and the minister goes, anyone at all? No one? You know? <laughs> so who's included in marriage? The church. Who else? Obviously, the couple. If no impediment appears, then the minister asks the man to declare his intent. Do you take this woman to be your wife and to make your covenant with her in all love and honor and all duty and service and all faith and tenderness to live with her and to cherish her according to the ordinances of God? In the bond of the holy bond of marriage, do you? And the man answers, I do. Do you remember that? If those of you who were married in your own wedding? And then the same to the woman. And then the minister says to the congregation, to all of those who are present, will all of you witness who are witnessing these promises do all in your power to uphold these two persons in their marriage? If so, please answer with a hearty, we will. And everybody says, we will. Why? Because marriage is a commitment between two people in the midst of a community. And then, and only then, does the minister then say, who gives this bride to be married to this man? And the father or whoever the bride chooses to give her away says, her mother and I, the family and I, so-and-so and I, we do. Then she's given by the family into the presence of the church to be blessed by God. And in God's design, community supports marriage, and marriage reinforces community. So not only is the church involved, not only is the couple involved, but the community at large is involved. You know, the, the community is supported by marriage, and marriage supports a community. Without, without marriage, there is no community because there is no uh, be fruitful and multiply. And the community ought to support and sustain what makes for flourishing marriages. And so to have a community where um, marriage is not crucially important is kind of like when you get a new garment at the store and you clip one of the strings, the threads that holds it together. I mean, the, the garment slowly begins to come unraveled. And, and that's what's happening in culture today. Marriage is devalued. The threads have been cut. And so we wear this garment of community and it looks a little clumsy, doesn't fit right, sleeves are falling off. Why? Because the thread's been cut. Because marriage hasn't been upheld. Is it any rocket science? Marriage is crucial to the flourishing of a community. It doesn't matter what your religious orientation is. It doesn't matter where you live. Marriage has always been crucial to the stability of a local community. And it's no different here. 
But when the threads are cut, we have to do work as a church to grab those two ends of the threads and put them back together. We have to do the hard work of sewing and get into the messiness of the life to sew them back together. And we do that together as a community. Community groups help. You begin to put strings back together. You strengthen the ties that bind the larger community of Tulsa together by your marriages. You want to make a big impact not only in your children's life, but in your community's life, go take your wife on a date. Go invest into her, men. Men and women, invest into your husbands. Marriage is the thread that holds the garment of civil society together. That's what Paul's trying to say in these topics. Guys, marriage isn't so much more than just the physical relationship that you're asking about. Marriage is crucial. You should not divorce your wives. Wives, you should not divorce your husbands. That stability is promised in vows. I said to Lauren one day, I said, Lauren, October 16th, 2004, I take you, Lauren, to be my wedded wife, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and want and joy and sorrow and sickness and in health and a head full of hair and totally bald as long as you both shall live. So the church, the couple, the community, and if the couple should be so blessed, then of course the children are part of that marriage. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the people labor in vain. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, a fruit of the womb, a reward, and blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Your marriage is important because it ripples into a far larger community than just the two of you. Do you see that and do you know it? As Christians, we must especially recognize the importance of our marriages. And if you're children of divorced parents or you're children of parents who have really tough marriages, you've seen it and you know the pain of it. You feel the tensions. And the challenge for you is to say, you can be part of that thread that begins to help put the garment back together. And maybe your parents weren't able to stay married, but you can. And we'll help you. That's what the church is there for. And is it hard? Yes. Is it messy? Of course. But is it good? Oh, yes. It's beautiful. So there's integrity in marriage. Who's included in the marriage? And lastly, what is your investment into marriage? If we're not to separate, if we're not to divorce, what investment are you making to obey the command that comes from the Lord, from Jesus himself? Most of us make automatic payments into a retirement account of some sort. What kind of automatic payments do you make to your marriage? Some of you, quite frankly, are more concerned with the retirement accounts than you are to your own marriage. But what is a more worthy investment? The marriage any day of the week. How do we make investments? There's four, four very quick ways. First, time. Time. When Susanna Wesley, Charles Wesley's wife, when she would pray, her children knew that when mom flipped her apron around and put it over her head, don't bother mom. She's praying. And so she would be in the room and she'd have the apron flipped over her head. And couples need to figure out a way to flip the apron. You need to get time together. 
For some, that means you lock your door. For some, that means you go on a date night. For some, that means you get a babysitter. For some, that means you get in a community group for no other reason than to beg people in that community group to swap out so that you can babysit each other's kids. Take advantage of the resources of this church. Don't be so proud as to not feel like you have a need that needs to be met by other people in this church. Please ask. There are people who would take deep delight and joy. Where the, the, like Kim and Pete James and Lauren and I used to trade off and they would, we would send our kids to their house and they would, they would watch kids at our house and, it, it, and while they went on a date, it was great. It was wonderful. Arrange something like that with other people in the church so that you can have time to break away and to spend time together. So time, that's one way. Are you investing the time into your marriage? Secondly, talk. Shocker. But if you're like me, this is hard to do. I come home, I come home and it's like, you know, you've had a full day and you come home and, and, and Lauren is like, she's, she's getting dinner ready or she's, she's you know, she's, she's coming in from her full day and the kids are doing their thing and, and I come in and I'm like, okay, what chaos needs to be subdued? I'm here, I'm the father. What else needs to happen? What problem needs to be fixed? Honey, what can I do to help you? And she, would, she often says to me, would you just sit here in the kitchen and talk to me? And she knows that's the hardest thing for me to do. It's hard for me to sit still. And I'm learning what it means to sit in the kitchen and just talk to my wife. Sender, message, receiver, response. <laughs> Speech 101. But do you listen to each other? Not listen to the words they're saying, but do you listen for each other? Are you learning to listen as husband and wife, to know each other? Do you know your spouse? When, recently when, um, uh, uh, in our family, uh, COVID swept through our family and when it did, it was, it was, it was a good for, for Lauren and I to, to see manifest our knowledge of each other when we could speak for the other person to physicians and to, for doctors. We knew each other. We knew their needs. We knew the way their body responded to certain things. We had listened to each other. And it was, it was affirming and also scary at points when there were some things like, huh, I had to ask her that question. I probably should have known the answer to it. But are you listening to your spouse? Are you developing those skills necessary to do so? Time, talk, third is treasure. Do you spend money on what's important, namely on your marriage? You can choose your money on counseling or you can choose to spend it on vacations and dates. You make the decision. And this is challenging for me too. I, I will admit to you, I, you know, mo my weekends are pretty much taken up. So when are we going to get away? And when are we going to slip? We got to get creative. But if I'm in the boat, so are you. Do you make investments? There's um, uh, Brad and step Brad Rutman, when he, was, when he was younger, Brad, I didn't ask you permission. I'm just going to tell the story. Thanks, brother. Um, when, Brad, when Brad was, when he and Stephanie went on, a, went on a, a honeymoon to one of these vacation resorts, you know, the kind of timeshare places where they always like hit you up for a free pair of golf clubs or they try to offer you something. And they came to Brad and they put the hard sell on him. He's, you know, in his early 20s, just married, you know, in the Air Force. And they said, um, so, you know, here's the deal. You make this investment 
investment. It was a pretty significant investment for them at the time. And, and you'll get to go this many weeks to, to Cancun and you'll get to enjoy this place, you know, for, for this many years. But, um, and, and Brad is sitting there thinking about it. And, and uh, they said, well, would you be willing? And one in a thousand times, I'm sure, somebody says yes. And they ask Brad and Brad goes, Sure. And he caught the guy off guard because he wasn't prepared to actually know what to do next. And so the guy goes and gets, and so, so Brad and Stephanie go to this, they go, they had this, they, so they invested when they were in their early 20s into this timeshare to go enjoy vacations in this great spot. They automate it. It's wonderful. And they just go. It's what a great gift. What a great gift to marriage. What do you, do you, what, what's your analogy? How do you invest into your marriage? Sometimes it's just date nights. Sometimes it's a place you like to go. But are you taking the time to invest? Do you spend your treasure on that? The best place to put your money is into your marriage, not into the bank accounts, not into the stock market, is to invest it into your marriage. So time, talk, treasure, and then forth, the taste, the taste of glory. That's the investment. It's a, you're investing into what is it going to be like in glory? The marriage is merely the beginning of a lifelong process of handling, handing everything over to your spouse. And it's a spiritual picture of merely handing your whole life over to the Lord. And in the end, in glory, he unites, brings you together. There will be no marriage in glory because the bride will be delivered to Jesus. The husband, the true husband, will be satisfied forever. Elizabeth Dodge writes in Marriage to a Difficult Man, when one has fallen in love, just to glimpse the other person catches the breath and quickens the pulse. The touch of the precious person brings a rush of response from flesh and heart. To have known such a period is to have lived in the mood of an armistice after a way. But after marriage comes familiarity, and in the case of the Edwardses, familiarity bred respect between Sarah and Jonathan. And the real test of feelings of one person for another was in the daily encounters when one must pay the bills or carry out the trash or sniffle through a head cold. The period of homely testings disclosed to the couple that they were permanently committed to one another was the mark of their marriage. And they turned their marriage into translating their love for each other into work, into a way of life to make a home for their family. Isn't that beautiful? And Jonathan Edwards writes, in the church shall be brought to the full enjoyment of her bridegroom, having all tears wiped away in the end, all tears wiped away from her eyes. And there shall be no more distance or absence. She shall be brought to the entertainment of an eternal wedding feast and dwell forever with her bridegroom, yes, to dwell eternally in his embracement. Then Christ will give her his loves and she shall drink her fill, yea, she shall swim in the ocean of his love. May we turn all of the disappointments of our marriage to that day. And may we begin to invest our time, our language, our talking, our treasure. May it just help form a taste of what it's going to be like when the symbol that the Lord calls marriage, of which you're a part, 
which blesses the world, strengthens community, strengthens the church. As Christians, marriage is a commitment for life because it points us to that great day when we will swim in the oceans of his love, fully satisfied. Amen? And as you come to this table this morning, you come to drink as another foretaste of the day when you too will swim in the ocean of his love. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to recalibrate our marriages through repentance? Would you help us to recalibrate our marriages through assessing our own use of time, our own use of our treasure? And would you allow our marriages to be just a foretaste? Would you help those who are greatly disappointed in their marriages, even in the sound of my voice, to run to you and to seek in you true satisfaction? And in light of that, to be better spouses and to serve their spouse all the days of their life. And Lord, where there are even deeper hurts and wounds, would you allow couples to lean on the session of our church to help strengthen, encourage, support them, and assess their marriages for your glory's sake and for the strengthening of this local church, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.